Welcome to Convos from the Couch by Life Stance Health, where leading mental health professionals help guide you on your journey to a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone. This is Convos from the Couch by Life Stance Health. I'm Nicolette Lianza, and on this special episode, I'll be talking with Matt Solid from our East Lansing, Michigan office on the important topic of how to respond to tragic events with compassion and empathy. So welcome, Matt. Great to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Now, we've already had so many major tragic events happen in 2023. Monterey Park, Half Moon Bay, El Paso, the deadly earthquake in Turkey and Syria, Michigan State, the railroad derailment in my home state of Ohio. And it's so hard to not feel overwhelmed in the wake of all these tragic events. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, Matt. So we talk about ways to respond to these events with compassion and empathy. So let's begin. Tell us a little bit about you, Matt. Sure. Um, so again, my name is Matt Solid. I'm uh, originally a Washington, D.C. native and transplant to Michigan. Uh, I came out here in about 2014. I'm still not uh, quite used to the cold yet. Um, I studied and received my master's in uh, social work after I got a bachelor's in anthropology from the University of Arizona and did my master's work in Washington, D.C. Um, and uh, started my career with inpatient um, psych, um, and working at a psych hospital in Washington, and then uh, worked outpatient. And now I work as both our um, clinical leadership team and operations leadership team in Michigan uh, now, but still uh, retain quite a few uh, folks that I like to work with. Um, and uh, so I've been practicing as a therapist uh, for 12 years now. Yeah. So it definitely seems like to me, with your experience, you care a lot of compassion and empathies for those who you work with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on that note, can you describe to us the difference between empathy and sympathy and why empathy is important when responding to tragic events? Absolutely. And, you know, empathy um, is the ability to feel what somebody's feeling, to be able to reach back into your own experiences and to actually have that understanding of, I know how that feels. I truly know how that feels. And I felt it. Sympathy is understanding how somebody feels and really having that sense of compassion for something that you have never gone through yourself. Um, for instance, I've never myself been through a tragic earthquake, um, but I can have um, quite a bit of sympathy for those people that are going through that. Um, whereas um, maybe somebody that has um, sustained an athletic injury or a has gone through a uh, family crisis or the loss of a loved one, those are things that I have experienced and can provide a sense of, of empathy for those. So, we want to have a really good sense of balance between the two. We can provide really positive, wonderful care for people with sympathy. We can provide wonderful and positive care for somebody with empathy. And it's a matter of knowing when to use which and in what levels to both help those that we work with and also to make sure that we ourselves um, don't burn out don't, um, and don't uh, sort of overpour to the point that we're not able to wind our own ball of yarn back up again. I love the fact that you point out it's a balance. It's a balance between the two. What are some common reactions people might have when they hear about a tra tragic event? And why do we have these reactions? 
people react in many different ways. And and it's 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 similar to that fight, flight, freeze response. We all we all are going to have that, that first primary reaction and we may uh, if we've been through one of those events, respond with a uh, level of empathy, or if not, we want to certainly have that sympathy there. But uh, for many people, they snap into action. They get to that point where they go, how can I help? How can I jump in? What can I do? Um, many people um, uh, feel frightened, feel um, afraid, or feel hopeless, helpless in their ability to um, make change as well. So people will experience that in many different ways, but that that I think that that fight flight response that many of us have initially really says, I want to get in there, or I need to really pause and 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 take a step back and really feel this for a moment immediately. You know that fight or flight within us is so ingrained, so innate in us. So I I like how you incorporated that. That that is one of the things that are going to kick in when we're talking about tragic events. How, how can we show compassion, empathy towards those affected, even if we don't personally know them? I think it first comes with really stopping for a minute and, and checking yourself and saying, one, how do I feel about this event? What am I going to carry into my ability to help somebody? What, how, how is that going to be perceived? And um, it, it, it comes with a stop for a moment and then understanding how they are feeling, just really taking stock of that. And then being able to reflect with the, in, in my case, what the patient needs you to reflect. Um, some people cope through humor, and it's a matter of being able to see that. It's a matter of knowing when not to do that as well. Right. So we want to choose the approach and the sense of uh, balance that, that we want to have and that the, the client needs in order to meet them where they are with that tragedy. Uh, especially in the early moments when people haven't maybe developed a, a feeling yet about it, that they're still quite confused or quite just jarred by the event. That key point of meeting them where they're at is so mm-hmm. key there. Absolutely. Now our media can really dig in and we can be bombarded with images of tragic events. So how can we balance the need to stay informed with the need to protect our mental health and well-being? And it really comes down to, you know, we're sort of remembering not to drink out of a fire hose. And um, we, we are we're absolutely bombarded with media. We're bombarded with opinions. You, you, you can't escape it even if you wanted to. And I mean, I think for all of us that are working at Life Stance, even if you hover over the, the little weather thing, it's, it's going to pop up. Right. It's everywhere. Right. So it comes down to limiting yourself and giving yourself breaks. And, and rather than... Um, trying to kind of go so much into uh, the facts, kind of going more into the emotions and going more into uh, the impact that it has rather than the sort of nitty gritty bits that we can get very caught up in. And, and you know, you realize that as you're helping people through these tragic events, those don't help. Um, they're interesting for maybe us to know at a point. They're interesting for us to understand, but um, those points about the background of maybe who caused the tragedy or in the case of a natural disaster, what maybe uh, led up to it, those um, those don't help us to feel better. Those don't help our patients to feel better. Right. Um, right. Sort of separating those away a little bit and shutting them off. Great point there. What are some signs that someone might be really struggling to cope? And, and um, when should we encourage them to seek professional help? Oh, that's that's a wonderful question. And um, I, I, I'm a fan of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I always have been. So I always, I always start out and go, you know, 
where where is this person? Where am I? And and anytime you're doing this, especially if you've experienced a tragedy yourself, if you've been close to it, if it's something that's that's really a part of your of your of your sphere, um, you first want to see where you are and make sure that your needs are being met. And, and you know, the first thing that comes to my mind always is that that sort of uh, announcement that they make on the airplane. And they say, in case of rapid cabin depressurization, please place your oxygen mask on before you assist the passenger next to you. So the first thing we always want to do is put our own oxygen mask on and make sure that we're where we need to be. And then right. once we've checked that, then we look at our person. What are the signs that you would look for is somebody not able to um, meet some of those core needs, that they feel as though they're stuck in that safety area, that safety mm-hmm. rung of the, of the hierarchy? Um, and are they... Uh, able to talk about it? Are they sleeping properly? Are there physiological symptoms? Are they mm-hmm. eating properly? And and um, those are something that as all organisms are, are uh, certainly we don't eat when we're stressed in many right. cases um, or our, our sort of, you know, activities of daily living aren't where they need to be. So you can tell a lot by somebody's routine being completely shaken. Um, you might see some signs of trauma. Um, you might see some staring off into space and flashbacks. You may see some hypervigilance. Those are things all that we want to look out for and keep an eye on are those early um, aspects of trauma. Um, and uh, when to send somebody for help, um, you know, that part of me always wants to say as soon as you see the problem. Right, um, right. But, but really, um, you know, we look at, the, I always think about this idea of, um, you know, and from the DSM of, um, it, it, in order for it to be diagnosed, it has to cause a significant impact for the individual's ability to comfortably live their day-to-day life. Is their day-to-day life so affected um, that that they can't shift it back uh, by choice? And that's when it's time to sort of have that external sort of vision come in and go, let's help you through this. Let, let's give you a guide to walk you through it. And I think you just did a really great example there of a gauge of one be able to tell if someone needs to get help. That's a great, great way to explain it. Are there any specific therapeutic approaches or techniques that can be helpful for people who are experiencing a tragic event? Yeah, I think it, it, it's really, there are some techniques that really do help. And then there are some techniques that we want to avoid as well. Um, and we want to avoid trying to fix it. We want to avoid being the fixers in this one because yeah. at that point, you know, we can't do, you know, you're not in a long-term state. The person is still almost, it's almost like that, that the example of the molten earth that they haven't set in, especially early, they haven't set into right. what that trauma is. Great example. Right. Right. But before that sort of crust solidifies and in the case of the earth, um, we want to look at brief solution focused. We want to look at empathetic listening, sympathetic listening. We want to be, um, uh, there to help them to talk about it, just to um, extricate some of that emotion right. that feeling, and and to be able to process just yeah. what what happened. Like make what sense happened. of it, right? Absolutely, and and we don't want to start out in, in trauma methods, but we want to start out in just talking about it. That mm. that very core supportive therapy, short term. Where do we need to get you so that you're able to get a foothold to functioning so that we can then kind of get some good plans in place and see um, how this is going to settle, how this is going to shake out in your mind? You know, a lot of this 
is just holding space for the client to have a platform just to share what they've been through. Mm -hmm. You know, I had jumped in and said to make sense of it, sometimes some of the tragic ends events that it seems like, you know, what is, you know, how do we make sense of it sometimes? And sometimes just holding that space to be able to process out that is so important. Yeah, I always have this imagination of these sort of just almost like motes of dust, these motes of emotion. And, and if somebody kind of goes through these these traumatic events at first, they're trying to just find the ones and put them in order yeah. and kind of get them where they need to go and they're floating around. And sometimes just sort of talking it through and talking it through and talking it through allows them to breathe it out and yeah. then put it into the order that they need to. And having that that space to do that is just critical. Oh, I agree. What are some of the emotional impacts on survivors and their families and how can we support them in their healing process? You know, for the, for the survivors of these, of these events, people will handle it differently. And, and I've seen this happen with so many different events and, and so many different types of trauma where um, you realize that you never know what's going to get laid down as a traumatic event. You never know how long it's going to get laid down for. You can be big and strong and tough and it can really hit you. You can be somebody that maybe a lot of people would think would be very easily traumatized. They're able to show incredible mm -hmm. resilience. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of in that sense is once you experience something traumatic, you've experienced one thing that was traumatic and you may experience different traumas in different ways moving forward. Right. Um, one thing that I always remembered and how people manifest and handle these things was uh, years ago, uh, there was an interview that I that I had watched, and the interview was with the um, many of the survivors of the Columbine shooting. Mm. Uh, you know, probably thirty years ago, and right, but they, they, yeah, they had all these folks in this room, and I thought it was one of the most brilliant interview questions I ever heard. And and the interviewer says to this to this group of probably about fifteen or twenty people, "What was the first thing you did when you walked into this room?" And every one of them said the same thing, almost in unison. We look for the way out. We look wow. for the exit. Wow. And what a trauma response right there. It, it, right? it was breathtaking. And, and, and to hear that 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 is something that, that we don't even think about. The first thing, and this will exist with Michigan State. Yeah. All yeah. These ones, they will look for the way out. Um, yeah. And they will always carry that, that with them of um, that part of the trauma. So... Um, people, their families, um, they they can develop um, a sense of um, mistrust with their surroundings. They can develop a sense of um, general feelings of just not feeling, not feeling safe. Um, right. And that can carry um, for many, many years. Many right. Years. And I think that's helpful for people to recognize that and understand that, that this isn't just something when you're trying to heal from a tragic event that you just kind of wrap it all up nice and nice and neat box and it's over here and you're good. No, this is something to navigate for many years or for some people for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. And uh, we really, you know, look at those patients and I, and I, and I think about this sort of core concept in, in Buddhism, which is the pain is universal and suffering is not. And, and, and as you see the, how people sort of carry that with their families, carry it with them for years, um, the, the pain will never leave. The suffering, the way that we carry that can be altered, but there is no forgetting it. There's no, right. there's no, you know, when you cope with it, it isn't done. It just becomes something that, that we're comfortable with and, yeah. and we're comfortable with the discomfort of it. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, you will see that a lot with people. You will never see them be comfortable with what happened, but they'll, you'll see them become comfortable with the discomfort. Excellent way to put that. Now we're, you and I are both clinicians. 
How can clinicians balance their own emotions when they're working with individuals who've experienced tragic events? Uh, A million times, if I could say it a million times, it's check yourself always. It's always say, where am I? Where have I put my oxygen mask on? Um, uh, How am I feeling about it? And it almost feels um, selfish in a way to think that, but we have to. Uh, We have to do that in order to be able to really provide that care that we need to without ourselves um, getting getting buried in the in the trauma as well, and, and and it's especially important. Again, if you were exposed to or you experienced the trauma yourself as well, um, so for us it becomes about really intentional self care, um, really positive self reflection, um, understanding the aspects of the event and how people handle those that we can. Um, being honest with uh, our patients as well and saying, I understand how you feel I'm hurting as well. And, and being able to almost express that as well yeah. is important too. Utilizing colleagues, um, for us as therapists, going to therapy ourselves. Right, 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 um, right. We, we can't help others unless we help ourselves. So I it, agree. It, it becomes, you know, utilizing the tools that we want other people to utilize as well, but really doing them consciously, reminding ourselves why we're doing it. And that gives them so much more power. Mm-hmm. I love that fact that you brought up the idea of genuineness. I'm hurting as well. You know, I think that's very key. And also self-care for ourselves. If we need to go to therapy, if we need to process with our own colleagues, that's so important. Right. And also remembering just to make sure that we're sleeping and eating. Yeah, sure right. The basics. Slowing <laughs> down as well and, and making sure we're, yeah, we're meeting our own, our own basic uh, needs as well. Right. Matt, any other takeaways you'd like to share? Oh, you know, as much as I think we always hope that this will never happen again, likely we will, in many cases, we experience, you know, experience these traumas either. Right. Hopefully, um, and then again, we all want them not to happen again, but having that knowledge and understanding and readiness of, of um, you know, if this does happen to one of our communities, uh, gives us a sense of uh, control over the situation such that we can act the way that we need to and in the time that we need to. Um, you know, being ready allows us to snap into action in terms of getting ready to see folks that might be coming into our office with those or um, at a, a higher level, being able to reach out to those um, populations and groups and communities that are affected and, and being able to pull them in towards the services that we can really give them to help them uh, is, is important. So always be prepared and um, emotionally always be prepared. Oh, key points there. My gosh, thank you, Matt, for sharing all your insights on this very important topic. Thank you so much for having me. I would also like to thank the team behind the podcast, Jason Clayton, Chris Kelman, and Juliana Whitten. Take care, everyone.